0: the action network podcast named best betting podcast or radio show by
1: the fantasy sports and gaming association and the number one show for the invested sports fan
0: What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the week eight college football betting preview. I'm Stucky and with me as always is Colin Wilson. Look, I usually start with a nice greeting, check in to see how you are. Don't care. Too much to do today. We have a loaded show. We're getting to, we add in the Big Ten. We add in the Mountain West Conference. We're going to get to all of those games this weekend. And then we're going to, Run through the rest of the card and what we like. So
2: it's loaded. We don't have time for any screwing around. Let's make some money. All right. Let's first start off with the Big Ten
0: Nebraska at Ohio State. Ohio State's a 26 and a half point favorite at BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast, over under 67 and a half. We know about Ohio State's offense. Great offensive line, tons of weapons. Justin Fields back at quarterback. Looks like Master Teague is a go at running back. Trey Sermon, the Oklahoma transfer, is there. Loaded offense. The defense has a lot more questions. Obviously, when you lose Jeff Okuda and Jace Young, uh, you're going to have to find people to replace them. Ohio State generally reloads. um, and They look solid at linebacker, and they just bring in five stars. But there's a potential that there's some growing pains early. Nebraska, meanwhile, (sighs) Yep, Spielman transferred. They do bring a lot of production back. Is this the year they take the jump? It's probably going to come down to Adrian Martinez. Was he hurt last year? Is that why he had the drop-off? Was he not? The offensive line, which struggled last year, is intact. Maybe they're better. But the defensive front, are they just going to get manhandled here? I mean, last year, Ohio State scored on eight of their first nine drives and just ran all over Nebraska. Nebraska's secondary is a strength, but I don't know how they necessarily stop the run here. I think this line is high, but I do worry a bit about Ohio State saying, all right, shortened season, we need to get to the college football playoffs. style points matter. Are they going to run it up here? Uh, What are your thoughts on Nebraska,
2: Ohio State? Yeah, it's the blue blood tax, right? It's the uh, you're going to bet Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, you're going to pay a tax on it. That's what this number is. I projected at 19. uh, We say this at the beginning of the season. uh, We we take the projections lighter in the first couple weeks because we want to know, we want more data. We want some snaps. We want to see what's going on. And to me, this is impossible to trust Nebraska. I would love to make a case and tell everybody, number's too high, we got to play the Cornhuskers. 27 fumbles lost in 2019. And you say, well, there's variance, there's fumble luck. These things come out, they pop into anybody's hands. It's a coin flip, who's going to get it? 28 fumbles in 2018. This is an identity. Scott Frost just is fielding teams at has no ball control whatsoever. You could blame Adrian Martinez, but I mean, some coaching has to step in at some point. They have these complete breakdowns. Colorado comes to mind where they had a huge lead and it went to overtime and they're just taking themselves out of games completely. They were 123rd and havoc allowed last year. I'm not really sure that that's going to stop. I'm not sure that that's going to relieve itself and they're going to have a bounce back here and, and taking care of the ball. Martinez had a fumble and three INTs against Ohio state last year. I mean, they ran for almost 200 yards, but they just got, ran over by a truck with these guys, and Martinez didn't help the cause. You know, Khalil Davis and Carlos Davis, they had 12 sacks. They're both now in the NFL. The rest of the roster on the defensive side of the ball only had 14, so they lose some big playmakers over on the defensive side of the ball. And I've just never been a big fan of Eric Schnander as a defensive coordinator. It worked at Central Florida against group of five teams with how aggressive he is and the blitz out of the 3-4. It just hasn't worked at this level whatsoever. And he's not taking his foot off the pedal as far as sending in the books. Now, on the Ohio State side, you, you mentioned it, Master Teague's there, Trey Sermon's there, taking over running back for J.K. Dobbins. The offensive line has two starters back, but don't really read into that. Look at the number of snaps. They had three other offensive linemen that recorded 170 snaps. Ohio State's fine on the offensive line. With the losses at wide receiver, I think the big question for me, stuck is are they going to run more 12? They ran a lot of 12 personnel last year. They do have two tight ends that are coming back, and Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert. I think they combined for like six touchdowns last year. So there could be some 12, and that could affect the pace of play for Ohio State. They were, uh, you know, known to go with a little bit of speed last year, especially with Dobbins there. But on the defensive side of the ball, for me, does Ohio State find answers to their havoc issues? You can't just lose Chase Young and continue to attack the way that you have in the past. I think it's going to be a slower pace. I think there could be some more mix of 12. Fields has new weapons on the outside he's got to get comfortable with. I think the Huskers are going to use the exact same plan that they had last year. They're going to limit Martinez throwing the ball. I mean, they threw for like 54% of the time, but they ran the ball most last year to limit the mistakes. You know, last year, Huskers ran 39 times versus passing at 17. Ohio State still trucked them. I'm going to take Ohio State in the first half here. With Penn State on deck, I wouldn't be surprised if they come out. Maybe they run 12. I think they'll blow some explosive plays. They're going to tear up that front seven. They'll probably get six yards of carry. You know, I think it's going to be no problem for Ohio State to cover the first half. After that, you don't know if they're going to punt, sit on the ball. Uh, I do think we need to pay attention, though, if this is a slower-paced Ohio State team. Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried
0: about their weapons on the outside. I mean, they they have so much talent on the outside. But you're right, it might take some time to develop some chemistry there. I mean, Nebraska's going to have to get a special day from Wondell Robinson, who's going to be playing a lot more in the slot. He's going to have to break a few plays to uh, to have a shot. I might, if Nebraska gets a 28, I might actually have to take them, or I just might look at the (laughs) second half. I might look at a second half play (laughs) here. Uh, I played Nebraska second half last year, and they covered, we'll see how Zach Harrison looks, by the way, at D-end. I mean, he's getting... Some comparisons is the next great uh, defensive end at Ohio state. Make sure you check out right up. We'll have on all of these games, every game uh, in the big 10 uh, out on the action network app and ActionNetwork.com. Um, all right, let's move on here to one of the most mysterious games on the board in the big 10 Rutgers at Michigan state at MGM Michigan state is a 13 and a half point favorite over under 44 and a half Two new two new head coaches here. Michigan State, it's the Mel Tucker era. He was hired in February after D'Antonio left, what, right before signing day? And then spring got canceled. And so it's like, what, what? what is this Michigan State team? They only have seven returning starters, I think six or seven. It's a whole new defense outside of up front. A whole new offense, a new offensive coordinator. I mean, everything is – I mean, their defense lost four all Big Ten players. New coordinators, new coach. I mean, all this turnover on the roster. Then on, on the flip side, you have Rutgers who hired Greg Schiano, and you know he has new offensive coordinator Sean Gleason from Oklahoma State that is going to try to turn around this offense. It was 129th in scoring last year, you know. And they have a new defensive coordinator in Rob Smith who I think wants to attack more. Schiano is a four-three guy, but you probably expect three-four here because the Rutgers' the best aspect of their, their defense is at, at linebacker. The best thing I could say about Rutgers is. They have good special teams, at least. Good punter. (laughs) They're 11th offensive coordinator in 11 years. There's a reason, you know, Shiana wanted a, what, seven- or eight-year deal. It's going to take some time. You just need to replenish the recruiting classes and get this thing headed in the right direction. So this is not like a year that they're trying to win. So a lot of unknowns here. Look, there is some returning experience on the defense. It's not a great defense, but if the offense can give them anything – It'll help. Like, their offense, they couldn't get off the defenses on the field the whole game because their offense was so bad. So, I don't know. It's This is a, a tough game to project. I hate Michigan State games after they tortured me, by the way, and you know this. Part of me just wants to take the points. Take the 13-and-a-half, maybe 14 in a, in a game with an over-under of 44-and-a-half. What do you see here? Make us some sense of this mess.
2: Yeah, it's hard to make sense of this mess, and I'll do the best that I can. The feelings that I had about Arkansas a little over a month ago was – I like the head coach hire and I like the fact that the head coach at this program is doing a CEO type job where he's delegating to his coordinators and letting them run the show. And so what Shiano has done is he's gone out and got Sean Gleason, the offensive coordinator, you would think, from Oklahoma State. He was previously breaking records at Princeton. Really just uh, uh, one a fantastic mind on the offensive side of the ball, and he's going to have full control about what happens over there. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Rob Smith, I know him very well. He did a great job at Arkansas. Uh, he did not get along, uh, I believe, with Brett Bielema very much. So I'm a big fan of Rob Smith. The problem is the Rutgers defense is an infusion of like a thousand transfers, and so it's impossible for me to sit here and say how good they're going to do when you've got you know everybody that was on like you know everybody in the Last Chance U world that is transferred into this program. So I have no clue how talented they're going to be. Go to the other side, to Michigan State. I, I have not liked Mel Tucker, this Colorado hire. Uh, you know, came in from Georgia, had really no head credentials at all to get the job, and now falls into Michigan State after February, after I think – I think D'Antonio, um, I think he locked in his bonus. I think that was the reason for the timing of when he actually retired. Uh, but, you know, Mel Tucker goes and gets defensive coordinator Scott Hazelton out of Kansas State, formerly of North Dakota State. You know, he's bringing in a complete scheme changes. I don't like teams in game one. They're doing scheme changes, especially on both sides of the ball. Michigan State has like zero returning production on 43% on offense, 49% on defense. What I do know is that Mel Tucker shouldn't be spotting 13 to anybody except maybe UMass. But maybe he'll prove me wrong. This is probably ultimately I'm going to be a stay away game, but I do like the direction of Rutgers. I'm looking for something here. Maybe Michigan covers. We get a box score fraud, and you and I can ride Rutgers for two weeks.
0: Yeah, very tough game to cap. will learn a lot about both teams. Uh, those are the two noon Big Ten games. Let's move on to – much more intriguing 330 eastern big 10 games we'll start with iowa at purdue at bed mgm iowa is a three-point favorite over under 53 and a half i took some purdue plus three and a half earlier in the week i like this team a lot and i'll give you a couple of reasons why i like purdue as a home dog here number one Rondell moore decided to opt back in which is obviously huge Purdue didn't release a depth chart for this game, even though Iowa released one last week, which was very odd. Kind of just said, fuck you to Iowa. But I assume that Plummer will start at quarterback. O'Connell's also in the mix. But, you know, this offense is going to be electric with Bell and Rondell Moore, who's going to play in the NFL and be really effective. There is a new defensive coordinator in town, and Bob Diaco, our favorite, podcast favorite, Bob Diaco, is going to run his 3-4 scheme
1: I love to cook, so you're going to make a vanilla cake. You just reach into the pantry and grab a jar, and you put it in there, but you grab the fish oil. You know, now you got a fish cake, and the jo- the jars look the same.
0: The defensive line is promised now because Lorenzo Neal comes back. This defense was just tor- – I mean, the whole team was tortured by injuries last year, but Neal was just such a huge loss getting him back in the interior of that defensive line, Carl Aftis at, at defensive end. The defensive line actually has – a lot of potential with Neil back. There's some questions on the back end, but some potential. I just think Purdue is being undervalued based on what we saw last year. But a lot of that, a lot of what happened was just out of their control. Just so many injuries and so many things went wrong on the other end. Here's what I don't like about Iowa. I actually think that their offense will be okay. Even though they lost Stanley at quarterback who's made 39 straight starts. So there's probably going to be Spencer Petros. There's probably going to be some growing pains there, but he has a loaded skill positions, right? Goodson at running back, Smith and more set on the outside. They did lose Tristan Wirfs at right tackle to the NFL, but Koy Kronk comes in from Indiana, and he'll slide in at right tackle, so I think they'll be fine here, but I think there's going to be a significant regression on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Epineza and Geno Stone leaving early really crushed this team. It's not a, you know, a team that gets elite four and five stars and just reloads, right? It's a team, and they look, they lost 20 of their 33 sacks from last year. So I think that the defense, you know, they three new defensive line starters outside of Golston. So I think the defense is going to take a big step back. I mean, look, they lost their top corner too, OJ Media. Was a, I was a huge fan of who's playing a lot in Denver. You know, one of the things that I'm taking, I'm going out on a limb on here is Kirk Ferentz is a huge player development guy, right? He does a fantastic job with the players that he gets in runs his system, he really develops players. And that's one of the reasons why Iowa's been very successful, not an elite program, but a successful program for so many years. So I think if there's one team that could be really hurt, more so than others from this COVID delays and lack of spring and, you know, shortened summer, it would be Iowa. And that lack of development, lack of practice, and where Ferentz really works is magic. So I like the home dog here in a game I make closer – to a pick it's a rebuilding year for Iowa on the defensive side of the ball I think that shows here against the electric Purdue receivers what do you what do you see here
2: yeah I I completely agree with you everything that Iowa loses especially on the defensive side of the ball I mean Golston coming back is great but they lost their top tackler Geno Geno Stone Uh, I mean there's some talent but there's some huge holes there on the the Iowa defense switching over to the offensive side of of Iowa you know they lose Tristan Worfs and they lost the Paulson brothers they're gone from the offensive line. And they have a handful of players that got some playing time, but you're right about the development. It's not like they got enough to, you know, be considered, you know, returning starters. I mean, I think it's an issue. But my problem is with the Purdue defensive line. They're—I hate to use the word—but they're soft. I mean, they're—they're they're just not. They don't create any havoc whatsoever. They don't uh, push the line of scrimmage. They don't own the line of scrimmage. You know, the Purdue front seven has got to play better for this team to be successful. But the good news is. You know, the offense is completely going to pick up the slack here. I love Purdue in this game, too. I was ready to bet them until Jeff Brom got knocked out with COVID and the fact that he's not going to be there at this game. Now, we talk about Nick Saban being worth two points, two and a half points of the spread against Georgia. Urban Myers worth two points of the spread when he, he was out for the first three games. Brom is at least worth two points. He has called the plays at every single stop he has made his, in his career, even when he was OC for, for Bobby Petrino. Uh, you know, so now who's going to call the plays? Brian Braum. First time ever, his brother. It says he's up for the challenge, uh, but it is his first time ever to call offensive plays. Now, this is not a tough call. Aiden O'Connell, Jack Plummer, which I think Jack Plummer is going to get the start. You take the snap. You look over to Rondell Moore. If you can get it to him, if he's got a cushion, great. If not, you turn the other way, you hit Bell. Bell's 1,000-yard receiver last year. 76% of this offense is back plagued with injuries last year. Purdue was, it was just kind of a lost year, uh, but they still showed fight. And that was just a signature of Jeff Brom is it even after this team couldn't make a bowl, they were still fighting tooth and nail to get everything that they could. Uh, you know, Iowa has some of the biggest losses in the country. I love Purdue and their skill set uh, that they got, especially on outside. And I'm excited for them to take some, take down somebody. I'm a little nervous in this game, when it comes to Brian Brom calling the plays uh, for his first time ever, I think it's, factored into the point spread right now, uh, since I make this, you know, basically Iowa minus one. So I think three is probably the proper number. I might put a play in on Purdue. I want to see if this steams a little bit. I'd like a little bit more. If Braum was there, I would absolutely play it no matter what. I think best case scenario, I hope you win your bet. Maybe Purdue loses, and then hopefully we get to keep playing it. But Purdue is a huge play on team for the rest of conference play. Well, keep in mind that Braum, I guess we have to say, multiple Brahms
0: here crying jeff right jeff Brom. well purdue on behalf of jeff Brom filed an appeal to allow jeff Brom to have contact with the coach's box on saturday there's still no ruling so that could potentially help a bit you know he can say here's what i'm seeing here's what we need to attack and you know his input it's not going to be on a play-by-play basis but yeah i mean purdue can't run the ball So it's like, all right, let's get the ball to Bell. Let's get the ball to Moore in space. That's basically it. All right, let's move on to the second, the other game at 3.30 Eastern. This one's on Fox Sports 1. I work on Big Ten Network. Indiana hosting Penn State. Indiana is a a five-and-a-half-point home dog at BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast, over under 60-and-a-half. I love the Hoosiers here. I bought to seven way early in the week. I had a feeling it was going to come down. I think this was on Tuesday. Just a feeling. And luckily, it worked out because it has come down a bit. Look, here, I there's this Indiana team, can they finally get over the hump and beat one of these elite teams in the Big Ten? I don't know. But they return a ton of production. I mean, they return on the defense side of the ball. I think they return more production than anyone else in the Big Ten. Although losing Marcelino Ball, he was who plays their husky position, hybrid defensive back linebacker. He's out for the year with an ACL injury. That could loom large. They have a really talented kid. I think a local kid out of Indianapolis, Fitzgerald, is going to take his place, who has a ton of talent. But keep your eye on that. They lost Raquan Jones at linebacker as well. But they bring the rest of the defense is coming back. The offensive side of the ball is where people are most excited about Indiana this year. You have Penix coming back at quarterback. You have Stevie Smith at running back, and then you have some just dynamic receivers, led by maybe if Indiana pulls off this this upset, he might become a podcast saver. Wop failure, wop 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 wop. W h o p w h o p. Oh yeah, well that's a derogatory term for Italians, but I'm Italian, so you know I didn't mean it that way. Anyway, the failure is amazing. I mean, he, could, he could go for 10, 12 catches out of the slot. He's unguardable. You can't press him. Otherwise, he just blows by you with his speed. And you can't kind of cushion him because he'll get over 500 yards after the catch last year. Two-star kid. Just he's going to play in the pros and be really effective. He, luckily for Indiana, he uh, he chose not to do that and come back this year. But Indiana's passing offense should be explosive, Against and their running attack should be pretty good too. Against a Penn State secondary that was really bad last year, outside the top 100 in some stats, it looks like they're they're going to have some youth starting at corner. They're moving some guys around. I, I mean, you have to remember this is a Penn State team that on defense lost all three starting linebackers. They lost Gross Matos, Micah Parsons, who was arguably the best defensive player in college football, opted out. You know, they had a, a linebacker is down on an NFL team. A safety is down on an NFL team. This defense lost a ton. On the offensive side of the ball, how much did K.J. Hamler do for Penn State's offense? You don't have him. It's the, you know, Penn State obviously great recruiting classes. They're reloading with very talented kids, but inexperienced receiving group. And Hamler just bailed them out time after time for Sean Clifford. The offensive line is good. One of the best tight ends in college football that they'll be able to rely on. But also, Journey Brown, just Sleeper Heisman candidate, he's out for the year with an underlying medical condition. So this Penn State team is going through a lot of changes, and I think their secondary is ripe for the picking. I think Indiana can take advantage. The biggest question I have for Indiana is their offensive line. They bring a lot of experience back, but they're moving like their right guard to center, their center to left guard, their left tackle to right tackle, so, they, so he can be the blind side of Pennix, who's a left-hander, then the right tackle to left tackle. So is all that going to work out against – the Penn State defensive front, which is still really good, but it does help that Michael Parsons isn't there and Gus Matos is gone and they're top they have to replace their, all their starting linebackers. So I think because of that, I trust Indiana here. Um, I think they're gonna have a chance to to win this game. What say you?
2: Well, there's two things that we didn't mention here so far, and that is the offensive coordinators on both sides of the on both teams. And you know, we talked already about Minnesota, about how their offensive coordinator left Kirk Soraka. Uh, he is now the Penn State offensive coordinator. That is I probably the biggest upgrade in college football over Ricky rain. (laughs) Uh, You know, Soraka gets a loaded offensive line, but you already mentioned, I mean, Sean Clifford is going to be looking for his KJ Hamlin replacement. I mean, that guy uh, got Clifford out of some jams and made highlight reels all day. Now, you know, playing for the Denver Broncos. uh, He he was like their WAP. You could just get it to him. (laughs) And he made the stats look so good. Yeah. He, he he made Sean Clifford look so good from a, a passing perspective. So, you know, Penn state's got to figure that out, but I believe I will continue to believe in Penn State's offensive coordinator no matter where he goes. Uh, I mean, what he was able to do with Minnesota last year is pretty unbelievable. On the defensive side of the ball for Penn State, you're right, Mick Parsons is gone. But, I mean, there's still plenty of playmakers there on defense. But we don't know who the next man up as far as tackles for loss, as far as sacks and quarterback hurries. Uh, you know, and I think you're right. I and mean, Pennix is a quarterback that just – he doesn't get enough nat- uh, national press – And, you know, the Indiana offense returned 74% of a unit that was 28th in success rate. But let's talk about that 28th in success rate. How much credit does that go to Caleb DeBoer? I mean, he had to work with a two-quarterback system, two different quarterbacks, They're not even really same style of quarterback. Uh, He's moved on to Fresno. Uh, Quarterback coach Nick Sheridan is taking over. Is he going to try to change what DeBoer was doing? Is he going to have his own offensive system? So there's still a little bit of a question there. I doubt that he changes much, but it's still not Caleb DeBoer. So we'll see how that plays out. And, you know, head coach Tom Allen, his roots were as a DC. He gets 82% of his D back that ranked 39th in success rate. I don't expect to fall off from Indiana as far as, you know, the defensive side of the ball. I like Indiana overall in this season. Uh, I have this game power rated at eight, but you throw in, you know, the journey Brown, you throw in, uh, you know, all these elements that are kind of hitting Penn state. Uh, and I know, I mean, that's the reason why the number has fallen so much, but, I feel like after, you know, now that we're down around, you know, bed MGM number of five and a half, we are fastly approaching Penn state by territory. And so I think, you know, oh, for dear. me, it's a, no, <laughs> for me, it's a no play at five and a half. Now Penn state does have Ohio state on deck next week, but I don't expect them to get a big lead and just sit on the ball here. I mean, I think they might actually be thinking about Penn state and get themselves in trouble and have to try to come back in this game. But you know, this is a game I wanted Indiana. I didn't get anything. Uh, you know, it, it, I didn't get anything. I didn't get seven. I didn't get seven and a half. I, I would have taken it um, earlier in the week, and I should have, but I didn't, so I could play it live. But it, if this thing, you know, is jacked down to Penn State minus three come Saturday morning, you're officially in Penn State by territory. But, you know, I have a feeling that Indiana is going to become a very public dog because there is a lot being talked about on what's bad about the Penn State side but we're not looking at the fact that they have a huge coaching upgraded offensive coordinator. Well, the live is a really good point if you missed the seven,
0: because we talked about all year on the podcast last year, how great Sean Clifford was in the scripted portion of games early on. Penn State jumped out every game, seven, nothing. So if you didn't get Indiana and want them, there's a good chance you might be able to get them uh, at seven or better early on. Uh, Don't forget about Fry Fogle at receiver for Indiana. My Indiana people will be mad if I don't mention him. And Peyton Hendershot, a tight end. The Indiana offense is really good. Oh, and by the way, I have a couple friends in Cleveland who are huge Ohio State fans. They will kill me if I don't mention Julian Fleming. Check him out, the one of the wide receivers for Ohio State. He's the number one recruit in the nation and should be a star. I'm excited to watch him. All right, let's move on to our next Big Ten game. And let's go to... We're going to stay chronologically here. So 730 Eastern ABC, Michigan at Minnesota. Michigan is a three-point favorite at BetMGM over under 54 and a half. There are some rumblings from Minnesota' standpoint that there could be some COVID issues. There's rumors out there that uh, Fallelli and Dunlap, I think Fallelli, what is he, like 6'9", 410 pounds, their right tackle, and Dunlap <laughs> their right guard. I, I swear to God, he's like 6'9", 400. And he just scored a touchdown last year. The Word is that they're not going to play, but they might not have been ready anyway. Like, Dunlap was going to transfer, and then was in the transfer portal, then decided to come back. Fallelli was recovering from an injury. And Minnesota has a really deep offensive line. But I don't know who else could potentially be out um michigan's a big unknown to me with how much they lost minnesota obviously good offensive line they lost a couple backs they do have ibrahim back they lost an nfl receiver in tyler johnson they do have rashad bateman back but there's a lot of change in minnesota we know the defense wasn't good and look antoine winfield i mean how much did he do for that defense he's like playing as one of the better safeties in the nfl in his rookie year in tampa So this game's hard for me to cap, especially with the COVID uncertainty and not really knowing what we're going to get from Michigan. Walk me through this one.
2: Yeah, this was an easy cap for me. It's just something that once – I start off with the Minnesota offense. Kirk Siroc is gone. We just said that about Penn State. He's gone. He's at Penn State. So he was the – the offensive coordinator was a mastermind behind Tanner Morgan hitting Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman all last year. He was responsible for the scheme, for the play calling, for everything. He's gone. And I said this, you know, uh, I said this on another podcast earlier this week. This is the biggest downgrade in offensive coordinator history. Mike Sanford was basically walked out of the job in 2016 at Notre Dame. He was, took Western Kentucky, a, ball, a team that was going to a bowl by Braum and Petrino, took him down to 3-9 and nine before he was fired there. Went to Utah State. You haven't heard about Utah State's offense in years. He has been <laughs> a downward spiral to every program he's been involved in. And so when you take a, a big, big jump, an offensive coordinator from Soraka down to Sanford Junior, it's going to affect the offense in the way that the plays are called uh, and the adjustments at halftime. It's a really big deal. So for me, that's what I was looking at from a Minnesota perspective. You know, the defense loses a ton, just 33% of that D is back. They were 42nd success rate. Michigan is just such a mystery to me. Shea Patterson graduated, McCaffrey transfers, Joe Milton, who, you know, I guess I heard from uh, Michigan fans is the next Cam Newton. Uh, I heard that about Joey Gatewood as well. I've heard that about a lot of people uh, just because of his size, uh, you know, is getting a lot of pub up there. But there's just question marks all over this Josh Gaddis offense. He was brought in from Alabama to install this spread up tempo offense. I never saw it. And, you know, their tempo last year finished at 57th. That's not fast. Uh, you know, that's pretty average. Uh, You know, 49% of the defense from Michigan is back. They do have two solid edge rushers that can pressure Tanner Morgan. For me, this was pretty easy. Michigan has the lowest amount of returning starters on the offensive side of the ball. I think Josh Gaddis is still searching for an identity with that program. Minnesota has a massive downgrade in offensive coordinator. This is a first half under for me all the way. I may agree with you there. Uh, I mean, I am worried about Minnesota's defense. I mean, they lost
0: all of their key cogs, right? Winfield, Coughlin, Barbara Martin. They have a great defensive tackle, but they have to replace their defensive ends. So I don't know if they can get pressure. I don't know if, how they're going to make up for the loss of Winfield on the back end. Their corners are really the only corner and D tackle, the only really position that you feel good about. But, yeah, I don't know. With the Michigan offensive line, right? They lost four offensive linemen in the NFL, too. This offense, this offense, like did nothing last year. Yeah, I don't know if I trust the Michigan offense as well. There, with so much unknown. Yeah, I mean, I think you might have convinced me, which is why uh, we do this podcast. So maybe I'll, I'll join you there. Good cap there. Let's move on to the final Big Ten game on Saturday night. That's at seven thirty Eastern. Uh, it's not a pretty one. Oh my God! Who cares? uh north maryland plus 11 Ooh. at northwestern northwestern's laying double digits Ooh. Wow. Pats
2: cats
0: over under 54 and a half i mean northwestern look i mean what can you say about last year they just they couldn't do anything on offense nothing but maybe they have a, a quarterback now in ramsey the indiana transfer maryland has so many questions across the board
2: like, I wanted to fade Maryland early. Can I lay
0: 11 with Northwestern? Walk us through this one.
2: Yeah, this is one of the – this is the ugliest game of the entire entire Big Ten slate. Uh, it's a game that I have projected at Northwestern minus 12, the lines at Northwestern minus 11. Ultimately, it's going to be a stay away with these two. But I'll – you know, a couple brief notes. Maryland finished 121st offensive success rate, but Anthony McFarland has moved on to the NFL, uh, to the Steelers. Josh Jackson's opted out of the season. So – Talia Tagovaiola is expected to be the new starter. Uh, You know, transfers in from Alabama. Uh, Mike Loxley, the connection there. Uh, You know, they have a decent talent in the back seven on the defense, but, uh, you know, they just returned 51% of a unit that was 96th success rate. Not sure how many of those players you'd want back. Northwestern just wants to get 2019 behind them, 125th in success rate on offense. That's almost dead last. Fitzgerald gets 88% of that offense back, but they get Peyton Ramsey to transfer up from Indiana. All positive signs. Here is the handicap, and here is why we may be spending money on this game. New offensive coordinator Mike Bahakian, he ran exclusive 12 personnel last season at BC. That two tight end set, he ranked fifth in seconds per play. Boston College was fifth in seconds per play running the 12 personnel. Uh, That is nowhere near the pace of offense that Northwestern was running last year. BC was 62% run out of 12 when they played the occasional 22, two tight ends, two running backs. They were 78% run. So I'm not saying that it's going to be explosive from Northwestern. I'm not going to say that they're getting chunky yards. What I'm saying is, is they're going to run an exclusive two tight end set, sometimes with two running backs, and they are going to increase. I'm not saying they're going to be the fifth quickest team in the nation in tempo, but that's his style. And that's Northwestern's new offensive coordinator. So what I want to do from a betting standpoint is I want to watch the – I want to watch the first series out of Northwestern. And if I see tempo, if I, if I see the play clock getting to 25 and a snap, 28 and a snap, 30 and a snap, I'm playing a live game over. Uh, hopefully the scoring's low because these offenses stink. But if North- Northwestern is on watch alert as an over-team with this new offensive coordinator. Well, I
0: can tell you the Maryland, it, it's going to come down to quarterback play. It's interesting that on the initial depth chart, Tagovaiola was listed as an or. I, I mean, Josh Jackson last year, what, he's a 47% completion percentage. So, I mean, uh, him being out, I mean, who cares? They were second to last in FPS in time possession last year, and. What 24th in first downs, 129th in red zone. I mean, the offense was terrible, but they actually have a, a, some talent on the outside. Jones, uh, Demis on the right, receiver. Jones was was really good in 2018 before he tore his ACL. And keep your eye out for Raheem Jarrett, who is a, a five star kid at receiver that Marilyn Loxley took, stole from LSU. You know, how rare it is for Marilyn to get a five star receiver. So maybe he brings something to the offense. But it's all going to come about a quarterback play with Maryland. They have to be more efficient going against what's it. always going to be a, a, a tough Northwestern defense. But, yeah, I don't hate your cap. I mean, I kind of do because you're just talking about Northwestern in and over. And uh, and they do bring a lot back. And maybe they have a quarterback now. They pretty much just lost Thomas, their center, which was a kind of a big loss, who's their, their captain. But uh, we shall see what this new offense, new pro-style offense looks like. All right. Let's let's actually skip ahead. We're going to get to Friday Night Lights, but let's just cross off the Big Ten because there is a game on Friday night between mm-hmm. Illinois and Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a 19-point favorite at BetMGM, over under 51 and a half. I feel like you've been getting a lot of shit for this already. I, I don't know if you have or not. I've just been seeing a lot of talk about this game on Twitter. It's a Friday night game in the Big Ten. Illinois fans, they do chirp um, for whatever reason. <laughs> Wisconsin has... And I love Illinois fans. Um, you know, Illinois got a really lucky for a great portion of last year then kind of got a, a dose of reality. But they return a, uh, a decent amount of production um, with Peters back at quarterback, and they have 125 starts among their four offensive linemen. So there's some things to like about this Illinois team. Uh, same with Wisconsin. But it's all going to come down for Wisconsin. You know that they obviously lost Jonathan Taylor, right? But pretty much it's Wisconsin. They're going to have a great running game. They're going to have a great offensive lineman. Um, they do have a really good tight end. And, you know, you could argue they lost their five best players from last year, including, you know, two really good linebackers and, and Cephas, their wide receiver. But, you know, it's Jack Cohn. It was his job, and he got hurt. Now it's Graham Mertz. What is he going to do with this offense? Now, this offense that now without Cohn and without Taylor and Cephas, who were responsible for 52% of the offense in 2019 – what will this Wisconsin team look like? And lo- their linebackers are so important in that defense, that 3-4 defense. Can they replace both Baum and Orr in that four linebacker core and be just as effective as they always are? So there's a little more questions with Wisconsin than Illinois. Wisconsin's obviously the much more talented team. I think you make this over 20. Are you laying
2: it? Yeah, the initial projection on this is 22 and a half. Uh, Remember, this is game one for each of these teams. I'm not going to lay it with Wisconsin, but if I had to play it, ultimately I would look for Wisconsin's team to get it up to 21 uh, and then probably play Illinois. But the more Wisconsin falls, I may back them. But let's take a look at this game. Uh, You know, Graham Mertz is going to step in for Jack Cohn. This is what Wisconsin fans have been dying for. They've been waiting for Graham Mertz to, to have the role. He only had like a handful of throws last year. Uh, But there's just a huge gaping hole for Wisconsin to try and replace Jonathan Taylor. Two backups last year, they had like 100 carries for 500 yards, nothing explosive, no highlight yards, nothing you you want to look at analytically says that, oh, there was a backup for Jonathan Taylor to come in. And Wisconsin returns 81% of a unit that ranks sixth in success rate and second in Havoc in 2019 on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, They were two in the country in Havoc, and that was such a huge cap for me taking them in the Big Ten Championship. Uh, in covering against Ohio State, but they lose Zach Bond, they lose Chris Orr, that's 59 hurries and 24 sacks. There just wasn't really anybody else. I mean, I know that they return almost everybody else for that defense, for the Badgers, but what you did lose were the ones that were creating most of the chaos. So, you know, if you look over at Illinois, uh, they've lost plenty of run stoppers too, not from anything, not from an exclusive defense or anything. Uh, You know, they don't really have any Havoc players in the front seven, but they did lose some run stoppers. Uh, on, on that front line, and Brandon Peters returns behind center, behind a really solid offensive line. How important is that offensive line? Dan Kramer is their center for Illinois, and, you know, he's projected to go in the NFL, and he didn't play in the Red Box Bowl. And Cal just tore this Illinois team apart because they had injuries on the offensive line, primarily the center, Dan Kramer. Dan Kramer's back. Uh, I think four or five starters are back, but they have a couple of reserves that have multiple snaps. It's not like, you know, this offensive line is solid. Uh, Wisconsin finished last year 128th in seconds per play. Slow, very slow offense. I think that trend should continue into 2020. Um, you know, I think the first half under is worth a play here, you know, as the Badgers are going to try to find, try to get into rhythm. Uh, that should bode well for Illinois and try to keep this game respectable in the first 30 minutes. I don't think that you're going to be able to go deep and you're going to be able to have explosive plays on this Wisconsin defense. I think the success rate of Wisconsin's defense is still going to be there. They're going to keep you from getting first downs. They're going to keep from having drives that are explosive and two-plus first downs. I just don't think they're going to be able to take the ball away as well as they did last year. That I think there's going to be some regression in that havoc number. So Illinois is going to have some success moving the ball. Can they stick it in the end zone for points? Don't know. But you know what? I'm going to take a first half under here. Uh, I think Wisconsin offensively is going to be searching for answers, and Illinois I'm not too positive that they're going to be able to push Wisconsin's defense around. Uh, Early And uh, really, when it comes into scoring opportunities past the 40-yard line, I'm not sure I trust them there either. They should still
0: slow down this Illinois offense. And, yeah, like you said, Wisconsin's a snail. And not only are they a snail, it's a new quarterback. You know, a lot of people like him better. But they lose Taylor. The backups, as you said, didn't look great last year. And they Uh did lose three offensive linemen, three starting Uh offensive linemen, including the best center in the country last year by a lot of metrics. So, yeah, I don't hate the uh, first half under there. You may have convinced me as well. Wisconsin, one thing to know, Wisconsin did lose their kickoff specials. It was just a
2: touchback machine. So I don't know how that's going to impact things. But you know, um, they, do you know what they remind me of on defense, though? They remind me of Georgia now. Like, they're extremely yeah. successful, but they're not havoc. You know, there's no havoc whatsoever. That's, the, that's where Wisconsin's defense is getting. Like, they'll, they'll get you off the field. They're not going to let you push them around. You're not going to beat them deep. You're not going to be able to you have explosive plays on them. But they're not going to take the ball away from you either. So there's, there's, they're, they're turning into Georgia really fast. Yeah, and,
0: and Illinois, their linebackers with Hanson are probably a strength of the team against that Wisconsin rushing attack. So I think that they can hold up. And, uh yeah, I mean, Illinois, you talk about they started to have regression in the end of the year. There's still regression coming for this Illinois defense in the turnover department. So maybe we'll get a clean game without any, you know, defensive touchdowns, which would are, not be great are, for the under.
2: Are we taking in the handicap that Lovey Smith shaved his beard? I'll have to factor that in. Put that in the cap next time. All right, that
0: is a uh, – half-hour rundown of the Big Ten to get you all caught up. We'll have tons of content on the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. Let's get on to the Mountain West. Before we do, here's a word from our sponsors at BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast.
1: The NFL season is upon us, and our friends at BetMGM Sports are offering Action Network podcast listeners a great sign-up offer. Just make your first deposit using the bonus code ActionPod and receive a 100% deposit match up to $500. They've got parlay bonus payouts, live betting markets, daily odds boosts, all sorts of great stuff. So download the BetMGM app today or visit BetMGM.com to sign up and use the code ACTIONPOD to double your bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. As a reminder, you must be 21 or older and physically located in the great states of Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9WITH-IT in Indiana. Promo offer not available in Nevada. And now, back to the show. All
0: right, let's move on to the Mountain West Conference. I'm excited for this. If you haven't already, I have like a 7,000-word write-up on the Mountain West. Um, It's everything that you could ever want to read about schemes and i just it, i spent so much time on it to read it and it'll catch you up on the mountain west Mountain west is a very difficult conference to handicap around because there's so much so many changes so many so many changes in the mountain west i mean look at the 24 head coaching changes this year six 24 percent came from the mountain west san Diego state fresno state hawaii UNOV, colorado state new mexico and of the six other teams they had at least one primary coordinator change only san jose state and air force retained their head coach and primary coordinators, but they both have new quarterbacks under center. So let's look at these games. Wyoming, at Pet MGM right now, is a four-and-a-half-point favorite at Nevada in Reno, over under 50-and-a-half. Um, it doesn't look like the, – all these Mount West games are at night, by the way. It doesn't look like there's going to be any weather to worry about. Last year, Wyoming beat this Nevada team 31-3, to three, but it was in the windy conditions in Laramie. The, the big thing you need to know about these teams, Wyoming, great rushing attack. Phenomenal rushing attack. They bring their, you know, 12, 1300 uh, all-conference running back and Balladay back. Sean Chambers is a starting quarterback, dual-threat guy. You know, he'll have some explosive plays, but the passing attack is not efficient, can't really do much. And then Levi Williams will get some time as well. Bottom 10 passing attack the last few years. But this team should run all over Nevada. Uh, I mean, Nevada's defense was so bad. That they, Jay Norvell fired his entire defensive staff. They're going to move from a 3-4 to a 4-2-5, play more man on the outside. Dom Peterson's a stud on Nevada, and that's about it. And He's going to play more on the inside of that four-man front. But the run defense has questions. They, they lost all four of their top linebackers. After Sakona graduated, Chris Green was projected to start at defensive tackle, but he got arrested earlier. This one's not on the depth chart. So who's going to start at defensive tackle? A, a local walk-on, Zach Mahana. Uh, So outside of Dom Peterson, it's nothing up front. There's no reason why Wyoming shouldn't run all over this Nevada defense. On the other side of the ball, Nevada's air raid didn't work last year. It's a modified air raid. Could didn't work. Part of that was they went from a senior quarterback in Ty Ganji two years ago, one of the podcast favorite, to a freshman, Carson Strong, and he was benched. And I think it'll be much better in the second year of that system, you know, Norvell has shown that the offense can be electric two years ago with Ganji and he has great weapons on the outside. Phenomenal. It's not not a dynamic duo in the backfield, Tawa and Lee, and uh, they might have the best wide receiver group in the conference. You have Elijah cooks, huge possession type receiver. And then Romeo which was one of the most explosive receivers in the country. So I think this Nevada offense is going to take a big step forward in 2020. And the Wyoming defense is going to take a big step back. And the reason for that, and this is why my defense has been rock solid the last couple of years. Last year they were one of five schools to hold opponents under three yards per carry. Got a new defensive coordinator who's going to stick with the 4-2-5. But I mean, they had lost so much talent. Logan Wilson, third round linebacker to the Bengals. Kashmuluaya, sixth round to the Patriots. I mean, they also must replace both their defensive ends. Josiah Hall graduated. Solomon Bird decided to opt out. Two defensive tackles also opted out. That does at least leave Garrett crawl. A senior at one defensive end spot, but he's going to miss the opener with an injury. So, I mean, they just lost so much. They also lost Elijah Halliburton, their leading tackler at safety. So uh, And this Wyoming defensive secondary was the most vulnerable part of their defense last year. You could throw on them when the weather was nice outside of Laramie. Uh, so I think that Nevada's going to have success throwing the ball here uh, against the Wyoming defensive front that's going to take a significant drop after all the Departed talent due to NFL draft picks and COVID opt outs and injuries. And uh, I think on the other side of the ball, there's no reason why this dynamic Wyoming rushing attack can't run on Nevada. Give me the over,
2: over 50 all day. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I actually agree with you. And I, I think that uh, somebody is actually listening to us as we're recording this because the numbers on the move and uh, the side and the total. And you know, for me, I, I just love the weapons on Nevada. I mean, I could everything that you said is completely correct. Nevada returns everything on offense. Carson Strong at quarterback, all his targets, entire offensive line. Uh, I, you know, I just think that's crucial because the strength of Wyoming is their defensive line, and I think Nevada is one of the few teams in the Mountain West that can at least you know uh, slow it down just a little bit. Uh, so I do like the experience Nevada has coming back. It's a super young roster for Craig Bowl. I mean, Sean Chambers coming back is still – I think is he red shirt still uh, as a freshman, but, uh, you know, I just think that Nevada is prime for the upset here. I like Nevada overall in the Mountain West and look to play them every week. Uh, it's a number that I projected two and a half, so four and a half is enough for me to make a play.
0: There, The unfortunate news came out this week that Jay Norvell's father passed away, so he temporarily left the team a couple days ago. It, he may not be back in time as he grieves and deals with that. But from a – Football perspective, Um, Matt Mummy, son of the air raid inventor, Hal Mummy, their offensive coordinator, he called plays a bunch last year, so he has a ton of experience calling plays. And don't forget that uh, Nevada's starting safety, Austin Arnold, he's also out. He's suspended for that brawl last year. So both defenses are just decimated. All right, let's move on to the second game in primetime in the Mountain West, Utah State at Boise State. Boise State is a – 16 and a half point favorite at Bet MGM over under is 52 and a half. All right, so Boise state, probably the favorite. Well, I get the clear-cut favorite, I should say, not probably, to win to defend its Mountain West title. And they almost had an undefeated season last year. Three-point loss to BYU prevented that. They got Hank Backmire back at quarterback. If he can stay healthy, he takes a ton of hits. He has a ton of weapons to throw to. You know, he has Shakir back, C. T. Thomas and tight end John Bates. They did lose. John Hightower to the NFL, but it's still just a a loaded offense. They did lose a bunch on the offensive line, which is something to watch because they lost four of their top five offensive linemen. But the offensive line wasn't great last year. They're 65th and sack rate, and Beckman was getting hit like every play. We'll see. They have to replace Ezra Cleveland, who's now at the Minnesota Vikings, at right tackle. The lone returning starter is moving over to that position to replace Cleveland. So, yeah, you know, it's – The other four projected starters have seven combined starts. So it is something to watch Boise, very strong at corner, very strong at linebacker, probably the best linebacking group in the conference. They do have to replace Curtis Weaver at the stud position, but Dimitri Washington's a name to watch there. Uh, It's going to be a really good defense and the offense is going to be solid. This is the best team in the mountain West. They're now taking on a Utah state team that is going through uh, a lot of changes. Jordan love, threw for over 8,000 yards. Didn't have a great year last year, but he's gone. He got drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. His backup, Henry Columbia, went to Texas Tech with Matt Wells. Fortunately for Utah State, they got Jason Shelley in from Utah, a transfer, dual threat guy, has some mobility. started five games for Utah. But the Aggies also lost their leading rusher in Gerald Bright. They lost their leading receiver in Mariner. Um, You know, it's the backfield could be okay with Warren and Henry Cole, another Utah transfer, but This offense, I think, is going to take some time to find its identity. Um, The offensive line was also awful last year. They do bring a lot back, but it was just really bad. Defense for Utah State, transitioning to a 3-4 defense. It was a bad defense last year. Um, And now they must replace David Woodward, the All-Mountain West linebacker, their best defensive end, their top cornerback, D.J. Williams. They have great great safeties, and that's about all you can say about the Utah State defense. The one thing – after capping this game, Utah State also lost a star kicker. There are two phenomenal returners, maybe two of the best returners in college football in this game, In Scarver for Utah State and Avery Williams. Scarver potential to break the FPS record for return touchdowns. If they can avoid these return touchdowns, which is a risk to them, I like the under here. Utah State was the most fast-paced team in the nation last year, but they have a new offensive coordinator, Bodie Reader. I mean, he likes passing attacks, but Gary Anderson who's back at Utah State. He said that multiple quotes that I read that in practice, they're doing this as well. They want to play more methodical. They want to play with more huddles. So apparently they're huddling up. They're going slower. They're going to run it more new quarterback, lose your leading receiver, your leading rusher. So I think Utah state is going to play significantly slower this year. I think they're going to have trouble moving the ball against Boise state. I think there's going to be some growing pains at the Boise state offensive line. Um, I think Boise State wins comfortably, and I think this game stays under. What do you see here?
2: Yeah, for me, this was tough to call. I mean, Boise's replacing a ton in the trenches, but that's not really going to affect them here against Utah State, who has mostly just their secondary back. And Utah State just has 57% on D coming back from a group that was 107th in success rate. Uh, I mean, just to be real quick here, I mean, I, my projection was 16.5, and the number is 16.5, so complete no play for me. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next game. Hawaii plus three and a half
0: at Fresno State, over under 65 and a half. All right, here's the interesting thing with Hawaii. All right? Cordero, they lost a quarterback to the NFL, but, who, I mean, they have Cordero, who's, what, 4-0 as a starter. They have 2,000-yard receivers now that they bring in Rico from North Texas. You know, so it, there's a lot of talent on the offense. The Hawaii defense was so bad last year, so bad. They you know, These are two teams with coaching changes, by the way. DeBoer from Indiana is now – taking over fresno state and todd graham takes over hawaii g j kinney is going to be the offensive coordinator for hawaii he's never been an offensive coordinator he's been an assistant an analyst under you know some good play callers doug peterson mike nervell ryan day chip kelly and the most interesting thing they're going to still probably run four wide receiver sets they're going to probably run this modified air raid and run and shoot more power runs and deep passes um you know they have really talented receivers with Lucy and smart, um, but the most interesting thing with Hawaii and why I think if you want to take a flyer on Hawaii moneyline and not the spread, it might be worth it is check out my piece on this. They hired a guy named Brennan Marion. Some of you might have heard of him, but he owns the Go Go offense. Wrote a book about it. He was coaching at this random high school in Pennsylvania. People found out about. It. He got hired by Howard, and he, it's this modified triple. Modern triple option pro-style spread attack. He basically said, look, teams can't prepare for the triple option. It's a nightmare. Let me take that and then put a modern spin on it. I mean, they'll have like five wide receivers on one side of the field, like three backs next to the quarterback. I mean, craziest formations. NFL teams have taken playbook, taken plays from this playbook. College teams, Lincoln Riley has a whole set from the go-go playbook. They ran this at Howard and beat the first game. UNLV was not ready for it. They beat UNLV as 45-point underdog. Then he went to William & Mary, revamped their offense. He got hired as the wide receiver coach. They might be running this go-go offense. And, you know, they have the talent to do it. There's also this really interesting name, Calvin Turner, who transferred in as an option quarterback to run for over 1,300 yards at Jacksonville before they entered their program, FCS school. He might line up in the backfield with Cordero um, and with Reed. I mean, you might see this crazy offense from Hawaii that Fresno isn't ready for. Hawaii defense stinks. A new defensive coordinator, they're going to be transitioning from a 4-2-5 to a 4-3. I don't know if they can get any stops. Fresno State, disappointing year. Third starting quarterback in three years now. And Jake Hayner, the Washington transfer. You know, Zane Pope, who led their team in receiving yards last year, wasn't on the first depth chart. There's a lot of questions with this Fresno team, but the defense... The defense also got significantly worse last year. Give 16 more points per game. So Devero o- overhauled the entire staff. Inge is going to, you know, have a, a new scheme there. A lot of question marks here. I just think that if you want to take a shot, just as an entertaining – this game should be entertaining shot, maybe wager on a first half one of a liar game because if they come out with this go-go offense, I'm not sure Fresno State is going to be fully prepared. And Any thoughts here? I know you don't
2: like Kawhi here. No, oh, I don't like Hawaii at all. But you forgot to mention G.J. Kinney's uh, used to play. Let's see. He played for the NFL. He was on the Omaha. Tulsa. Nighthawks Tulsa quarterback. Calgary Stampede. First job, 2016 analyst for Chad Morris at SMU. Followed him to Fayetteville took his way over to the Eagles last year as a coach of special projects. I'm not really sure what that is. Now he's Hawaii's OC, which I'm just baffled at some of these moves, how these guys are falling into these jobs The resumes are just fantastic. Uh, You know, I, listen, I don't want to fade Kalen DeBoer with Fresno state. I believe in him. I thought that was one of the best coaching hires in the nation. Uh, But there are problems with Fresno that bother me from a first game perspective. And that is that they weren't even let into their facility to like three and a half weeks ago because of what's going on with COVID and everything else. They literally had moved all of their practice equipment, their weight, their training, like everything was on the baseball field and it was unorganized practicing. And like, they weren't allowed to practice. They weren't allowed to have like coaches practice and everything else. So, you know, this is going to be, I feel like a very unprepared team from a physical standpoint, from a knowing the scheme and knowing, you know, the execution standpoint, I feel like Fresno, it's going to take a while for them to get into it. And I'm worried about their conditioning. I mean, conditioning has been an issue with all these teams that are playing for the first time. And, and, you know, with the way that Fresno had such a late start, they're the one team in the Mountain West that was probably had the most affected, you know, besides Air Force having a bunch of, bunch of uh, you know, cadets opt out. Fresno was the one team that had a lot of COVID concerns with the way that they had to Change up what they were doing, so uh, you know I'm worried about Fresno State from that standpoint. I have no love for Todd Graham. I have no love for Todd Graham. I mean, if we look, I, I understand GJ Kinney is going to be running the offense, you know, and, and how much he's going to deviate. We
0: hope it's not GJ Kinney, and I hope we, I hope that it's actually Brett and Marion. That's my speculative yeah. bet on this game: is that it's Marion and Hawaii comes out with this crazy offense to take advantage of a Fresno defense with question marks.
2: Yeah, and I I hope so. I I could completely hope that that's what happens. I hope Hawaii is fun to watch, and I hope they are something that we can bet on. But you know, Todd Graham is a defensive guy, and he's going to allow other people to control the offense. But it should be you know for the Hawaii players, it should be interesting to see what they do going from a Nick Rolovich uh, you know fun and gun run and shoot uh, you know in with Todd Graham. Now I went back into Todd Graham some of the stuff. I mean, the offenses he ran at Arizona State they were just nothing to be excited about. Their pace was like forty third, thirty Uh, nothing close to what the Hawaii pace is used to. So I'm not really sure if he has influence on how fast that he wants the offense to play since he's going to be coaching the defense. One thing about the ASU defensive squads, you know, I'm sorry, the Arizona state defensive squads, the last three years, Todd Graham was there. They never finished higher than 96 in finishing drives. I mean, shit, he got fired. So, I mean, that says enough, right? His defense was nothing to write home about. And uh, you never know. Maybe Tom Graham will have a new job by the end of this game because he likes to move around a lot. But uh, for me, I think conditioning has to be an issue. I do like Fresno. I'm a little bit worried about what's led up to this game as far as practices, execution. Uh, Same thing with Navy. Like when they – I'm not saying it's the same circumstances. I'm just like Navy was not prepared for BYU. I'll probably take an under, more than likely a second half under, depending on what I see from this offense. Uh, Really, you're right. I need more information on the Hawaii side. Uh, and Fresno worries me. If it's anything, it's going to be a first half under. Yeah,
0: I, I'm going to end up in a lie in some aspect on a speculative play on this go-go offense. And, I mean, Fresno State, their leading receiver from last year is not on the depth chart. And they lost their top two tight ends from last year in Rice and Sutton. And guess who's starting a corner against 2,000-yard receivers, two explosive 1,000-yard receivers? You have a redshirt freshman walk-on in Braylon Lux at one, and Wyland Free, who played safety last year. I mean – uh, this, this team could struggle in coverage again.
2: Oh, PSA for everybody. Might as well get your, your tablets and your phones ready because this is on Spectrum Sports, which means we'll have like the greatest commentator of all time. Uh, but, you know, this is – if you're trying to find on your TV channel, this is a Spectrum Sports game.
0: Yep. All right, let's move on to Air Force at San Jose State. Air Force, seven-point favorite at San Jose State. At BetMGM, Air Force is a seven-point favorite at San Jose State. Over-under is 62-and-a-half. I played some over 61 here. I'll keep it simple. You can go read my Mountain West manifesto. Look, Air Force beat Navy 40-7, to seven, beat them down. Held him under 100 yards rushing, ran for over 350. But it's just an option offense. You can't take too much from that. That's what they practice against every day. This is still defense that returns zero for turning starters. I think San Jose State and your boy, Nick Starkle, although I think they have an or as of right now, San Jose State, with this starting quarterback between him and Nick Nash, but I think Starkle will get it. He'll be able to throw on this Air Force completely revamped secondary. And the Air Force's secondary has been known to struggle in years past. And what San Jose State does have, really good receivers. Yes, Josh Love is gone. He threw for over, you know, just under 4,000 yards last year. It was Josh Love, not the other Love who got drafted. he was actually the offensive conference player of the year. Um, but he has all of his receivers are coming back. I mean, they have fantastic receivers. It's a team that can't run the ball at all. One of the worst rushing teams in the country last year, but Trey Walker is a baller. You know Bailey Gaither and Isaiah Hamilton—they've combined for like 175 catches last year and close to 3,000 yards. They're all back. You know it's still it's a veteran offensive line that's good in pass blocking, I think number two in sack rate last year. So I don't think I don't see there's any reason why San Jose State can't throw it up and down the field against Air Force. It's scary playing an Air Force Service Academy under always especially this high because one 12-minute drive just slowly painfully kill you but i don't see why air force and their offense is really good both their backs return um in remsburg and jackson they have a new quarterback but he looked great in the in the first start so they don't have hammond but the quarterback was more than fine in his first start and Ezek daniels i think he ran for close to 100 yards the offensive line is the strength of this team you know they had all Mountain West selections and Nolan Laufenberg and Parker Ferguson on the left side of the line just mauls people. Mauls. They're gonna and then you know their other starters, experienced guys look great. So it looks like they and they have a few weeks to build up continuity because they played their first game about three weeks ago. So uh, look, I think that the offense is gonna move up and down the field against the San Jose State defense. It was one of the worst rush defenses in the country last year. They have a new nose tackle up front. They lose their two best linebackers in Aguayo and Asuna, who just made tackles all over the field. They played for the last four years. The secondary returns three starters, but the secondary doesn't matter against Air Force. So I think this is just back and forth. Air Force goes up and down the field. San Jose State answers. And uh, it's worth noting that San Jose State in both their games last year against two option teams, both went over 62 points. So I, I took some under 61 here. Still like it at 62
2: two and a half up to up—it's about the, the ceiling here. What do you see here? Nick Starkle's my boy, huh? Mr. Bieber shirt and club dub from the Chad Morris days. Uh, yeah, so it's interesting. He play, now plays for the team that beat us on our home field. He's shown Mitch. flashes in the past at Texas A&M and Arkansas. It's about Man. consistency. If you put Nick Starkle, Jared Garantano, and Adrian Martinez on a game show to throw more interceptions, who would win? Um, Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> Mitch Bortles.
0: You've just been bortled.
2: All right, let's talk about this. I I feel like this Air Force line is begging for money. You know, like we've already seen them play. We've already seen them beat Navy. And then there's this huge trend out there that if you go and watch TV shows, like talk about trends and shit like that, they'll sit there and tell you that obviously when there's tape on a team, it's a big advantage to the team that hasn't played yet. Well, that team that hasn't played yet has to have some sort of quality to them uh, to stand up. So that's what we're looking for with San Jose State. You know, San Jose State, this is the – I found this stat amazing. San Jose State's the first time since 1989 has the same head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator. For the first time since 1989. Yeah, you're right. There is an or between – Yeah, there is an or between uh, Nick Starkle and Nick Nash. We'll see who gets to play. Probably might swap them both in. Uh, There's a new nose tackle transfer from a community college. That's key against the triple option. So we don't know how much of an impact he's going to have, you know, for San Jose State, but – You've already mentioned. I mean, they're just a they're just a, a, a gaping crater uh, in their front seven in, in a rush defense, and that's not a good formula against Air Force. Air Force ran five and a half per carry for 382 yards against San Jose State defensive front last season. I mean, there was improvement. I think the one thing that I can point to, if I had to try to find a reason to tell you to take San Jose State, they got their ass handed to them against Air Force last year. Later on in the season, they traveled to West Point and they beat army and held them to like four and a half per carry. They did a considerable better job against the triple the second time they saw it later in the season. I go back to the stats. This is the first time since 1989 the coaching staff stays intact. So it's not a reason really to bet San Jose State. I make this number 11, but I'm telling you from a market perspective, they are screaming for people to come in and bet Air Force at seven. So I'm going to lay off this game, uh, maybe play it live. You're right. Air Force should just you know, run them up a flagpole. But this number, I mean, they're just begging for air force money here. Yeah. I also think San Jose is going
0: to move the ball through the air. That's where I think the air force, all those defensive losses on air force with zero returning starters That's where you're going to really feel it. Cause defending the triple options is about discipline, fundamental practicing against it. Really. That's, that's all you need to do. I mean, look at, look at what uh, Citadel did against army. They lost 14, nine, held them at 200 yards. Like that's, you don't need all your returning starters for that, but against electric receivers, you do. Um, all right, let's move on to the final Mountain West game. UNLV is a fat, at bed. MGM currently is a 14 and a half point underdog at San Diego state over under 49 and a half a new coaching. It's another new coaching matchup in the Mountain West. The, this is probably a stay away for me because, and look, Marcus Arroyo comes in, I think it's a great hire, especially compared to what they had before and they're, they're picked to finish last in the West Division. San Diego State's picked to finish first. Look, you have they stunk at every, every aspect last year, offense and defense. There's a lot of gamesmanship going on, but from Arroyo, I don't know. He's keeping a lot of things quiet. Apparently, he's going to run things out of a pistol. He's listed three quarterbacks as the potential starters. Oblad, Max Gilliam, and Justin Rogers, a TCO transfer. Yep, yep. But they're also dealing with COVID. And by federal law, they're not allowed to say who. They're not allowed to say how many. So I and their best player is Charles Williams, their running back, he ran for over twelve hundred yards last year. But I went to I found their depth chart and then I matched it up and I said, "Wait, where are their two best receivers?" And they're not on the depth chart. Um, so if you look, you will not find Randall Grimes, USC transfer, NFL prospect, or Brandon Presley, their two best receivers. So I don't know who else is not going to end up playing, but them not on the depth chart. Isn't great. Um, San Diego State, meanwhile, you have Brady Hoke moving from defense line coach to head coach, is gonna keep that 335. New offensive coordinator, they want to play more spread-based offensive attack. They tried to do that last year, didn't really work. It's gonna come down to can Carson Baker give them something at quarterback. He did play really well in his lone start against BYU. New running back by committee, but if they do turn a lot on the outside. But the offense was so pitiful, so pitiful last year. San Diego State's defense was so elite. They were second in points, second in rush defense. They bring back seven starters, but they do lose. Cheatham, a great defensive tackle. Tizino, a great linebacker. and Barco, a great corner. But this secondary is still awesome. Uh, Banks and Thomas up front, still a great defensive line. I expect the defense to still be pretty good. and I think this might take some time to fill in some of those holes that they lost. It's hard for me to project what we're going to see from UNLV, new defensive coordinator as well. Uh, what do you see in this game?
2: Yeah, so I did some digging here. I mean, we've got a lot of moving pieces here. Two new head coaches. Marcus Arroyo comes in from Oregon, uh, famously running the pistol with Justin Herbert and deciding to never pass the ball on first down. Uh, one of the most frustrating things to watch with the Ducks over the last couple of years. Brady Hoke is promoted from defensive line back to head coach. The, he previously was the head coach here many, many eons ago before he had strings as Michigan head coach, the Oregon, D.C., Tennessee defensive line, then interim head coach like for a game, Panthers defensive line. All of those went horribly bad. Uh, So Brady Hoke taking over uh, as head coach here is is nothing like a big boost over Rocky Long. Uh, But there is some notes we should pay attention to here. San Diego State's new offensive quarter is Jeff Heklinski who was under Hoke at Ball State, San Diego State, and Michigan through those stops that I just mentioned for Brady Hoke. Alinsky took the job, and he used these words right off the bat. We are going to be electric, we're going to be vertical, and we're going to be fast-paced. Hello. San Diego State is the slowest team in the nation. Slow, on the ground, boring the shit out of us for a decade under Rocky Long, and you're bringing in a guy that says electric, vertical, fast-paced. As for Arroyo, you know, Oregon was 39th in seconds per play. I mean, they weren't slow, uh, but out of 100, you know, out of 130 teams, 39th isn't isn't fast, but it's not slow. Uh, you know, the biggest complaint was that he just does not understand on passing downs. You're supposed to pass the ball. Uh, you know, so you know, three quarterbacks are listed. We mentioned that before. So there's some COVID issues going on. Could affect the defense. Um, I think this could possibly be with UNLV, the worst defense in the Mountain West. They returned just 29% of a unit last year that rang 97th in success rate. Because Alinsky came out and said electric, vertical, and fast pace, I feel like this total at 48 is just maybe uh, maybe being used by bookmakers as something that they would have come up with from last year. And if San Diego State's going to come out here and run tempo, it's going to change totals for San Diego state really fast. I took an over in this game. I would take it up to 49, 49 and a half kind of cross the key number there. Uh, If you want to wait and play it live, see how fast that play clock runs before San Diego state takes a snap, but whether they're successful or not, you know, these defense sucks. So, they're going to be able to move the ball. I don't care what they do. Anybody can move the ball against this UNLV defense. So let's pay attention to the tempo, but I'm taking the over in this game. You make a great case. Maybe I'll join you there as well.
0: All right. Let's move on. That's and make sure we have Colorado State New Mexico. They got canceled. Yeah. Too Sucks bad. To Warren his favorite uh, game, right?
2: That was going to be our Jackson, favorite game.
0: Man, I wish he was playing. He was an awesome receiver. But yeah, go check out my uh, Mountain West manifesto on the Action Network app and Action Network to come. It'll be up by the morning. All right, let's before we get out of here and let's do a quick rundown. We'll get we'll hit one game per conference at least. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups. We'll all end up betting for week eight. Let's start in the AAC. Cincinnati at SMU, ranked matchup here at BetMGM. SMU minus two and a half, over under 55 and a half. My initial thought I want to play this under. It's scary with SMU. But I love this Cincy defense. It's built to kind of number one pass efficiency defense in college football. They're built to stop this type of offense, and they've had weeks to prepare for it. And I love Marcus Freeman, and I love Fickle. I think they're going to come up with a good game plan. And the Cincinnati offense stinks. I think their leading receiver uh, is still out this week, and Ritter's been bad. Now, I kind of lean under here. What are you seeing in SMU?
2: Since he's 7th in uh, passing success rate defensively and 16th in the nation in defending pass explosiveness, uh, I think SMU was able to put it together against Tulsa uh, without some of the, you know their leading wide receiver being out for the year and their running back. But I think that that corrects itself this week. Cincinnati's had a big a big gap in play with some COVID issues, but they're all healthy now. Uh, I, I like Cincinnati, but I'm waiting on a three. All right, let's move on to the Big
0: 12. We have Brocktober, baby. There he go. Iowa State plus three and a half over under 51 and a half. I took some under 52 and a half because I projected lower, although these games have been shootouts in the past. They've been close. Uh, but this Oklahoma de- this Oklahoma State defense is real. Look at all their advanced metrics. It's awesome. And we expected a big jump on their defense, so well, I'm believing in it. We know the Iowa State defense is really good. I'm trusting Brock Tobier. I make this game closer to a pick. I think it'll be close. Come down to the wire. I think it's like 24-20, 24-21. Iowa State pulls this out.
2: Brock baby. Yeah, you're right. Oklahoma State on defense has like a top 10 rating in everything, stuff rate, line yards, havoc, rushing success rate. One thing that they do not rank highly in, defending pass explosiveness. They're actually 45th in passing EPA on the defensive side of the ball. That is where I think Brock Purdy is going to get them. Uh, Listen, I just think it's Brocktober. You got to play him. You know, Oklahoma State's passing attack has been abysmal, but Spencer Sanders is coming back. Uh, the offensive line has not helped Cowboys whatsoever. They are 70th on the offensive line in sack rate. That's trouble against an Iowa State defense that is harassing quarterbacks. They're seventh in defensively in sack rate. So I'm going to take Iowa State in this one. i upset. All
0: right, let's cross off the ACC real quick here. Ooh, Notre Dame Pitt over under has dropped to 43. I missed the boat on that under. Uh, what opened 50. Let's see, the game that I want to cover here that you wanted to talk about. Louisville seems cheap to me. Uh, after that florida state loss but i don't know if i can trust them unc minus 15 and a half after their loss against nc state nc state's gonna be without their starting quarterback leary for a few weeks uh at minimum do you want to touch any on either of those games
2: no i'm staying away from nc state unc but if you're gonna play it and you think that you want to get contrarian take nc state realize that they're 67th on defense and finishing drives anybody that gets past the 40 is scoring points on a lot of points All right, let's touch on the
0: AAC here. Memphis is going to look to avoid a letdown here after that win over UCF. Coxie now has opted out. Lost like all their skill position players. Still don't know how UCF lost that game. All right, Sunbelt will save for Friday Night Lights. We're going to hit the ULL-UAB game. Georgia-Southern Coastal Carolina is a really good game. I think we disagree, but I'll be on my triple option, boys, I think.
2: Don't let the ladies come between you and the belt.
0: The SEC people are going to be really mad because we have talked about the Big Ten and Mountain West the entire time. I like Missouri, just to throw that out there. Plus five and a half at BetMGM right now. They're short-handed on the defensive line, but this is a good run defense. They should be motivated for this game. They got blown out last year by Kentucky, lost by one at home two years ago. Horrible spot for Kentucky. Horrible. Uh, I mean, they they get that huge win over Tennessee for the first at in Tennessee for the first time forever. They have Georgia on deck now. They're supposed to get Georgia after Bama this week. Missouri's coming off of a bye. This freshman, Bazelik, has been awesome. I've been looking into his numbers, like top 15 across the board. He actually had some guys that could catch the ball last year. I think they're going to sell it on the run. Wilson can't beat them through the air, and there's going to be some turnover regression coming for both of these teams. I think Missouri can pull off this upset. LSU, South Carolina is interesting. It looks like Brennan's going to be out. LSU's coming off a bye. South Carolina's off that big win over Auburn. I played some under there. I think LSU's going to go slower with a new freshman – true freshman quarterback, and uh, their defense will be better after the bye. Auburn, Ole, Ole Miss. Auburn's a three-and-a-half-point favorite at Ole Miss. I wouldn't really want to play Ole Miss here. Bama's a 21-and-a-half-point favorite at Tennessee. I have show value in Tennessee. Please tell me I shouldn't bet Tennessee. <laughs> tell me why I can bet Ole
2: Miss. You could bet Tennessee because of the way Jim Chaney, the offensive coordinator, likes to call plays against Alabama. He did this all last year. He was heavy, heavy, heavy rush. Why? He wants to limit – the exposure that Jared Garantano or Shrout or whoever's running quarterback Brandon Mauer last year has in throwing the ball and possibly being intercepted and having some pick sixes. This is what he's done. It's been his formula forever when going up against Bama. Uh, heavy rush expected. Last year, this game finished thirty-five to thirteen. I expect there to be lots of Eric Gray. I expect there to be lots of Ty Chandler. Bama is just unbelievable. They're a machine. I said this on our podcast, you know, over the weekend. Bama's offense you know, 60, 60, 91, and 60. That's the percent of available yards that they're getting every game when the national average is 40. Shout out to the Mandalorian. They are disintegrating defenses. It's insane. Uh, Their defense is now top 25 in finishing drives, limiting teams to 3.14 points per opportunity really what you have to do here is limit jared garantano's throws low risk throws he's had a ton of them that are behind the line of scrimmage or zero to nine yards but what you're going to do is just take a read you're going to just going to turn around on a zone read and you're just going to let ty chandler eric gray run the ball alabama is going to give you four yards per carry it's going to be slow it was last year taking under here let's get to fcs or now Southland or SEC, Big Sky or Big Ten. It's time to play FC
0: Yes or No. I'll just do a shout-out to Mercer. I have to take them. Plus 31. They've had a couple weeks to prepare. I love their coach. I watched their offense. I watched the whole game against Jacksonville State on YouTube. I like some of the things they're doing on offense. Some similarities to the option. Their offensive coordinator actually used to be at Army. So they've had two weeks to prepare for this game. Triple option, team laying 31. I'll have a piece
2: of Mercer. Do you see any FCS games you like? Yeah, two others. I, I, what, is Ch- what, is, what is Western Kentucky doing laying 14 to Chattanooga? Mox return 18 returning starters. They have a fifth-year senior, Drayton Arnold, quarterback. He's a dual threat. Uh, four of their five offensive linemen are back. The Mocs defense is loaded with havoc. They have a, a defensive back. Dowell has got five INTs in his career. Uh, tons of passes defense back there. Uh, Western Kentucky's 41st and havoc allowed. This is a one game play for the Mocs before they play their eight game season next in the spring. I don't think this game should be 14. Uh, you know, according to Sagarin, the game should be seven and then flipping over to Jackson's Jacksonville state and FIU. I mean, this is a game that Sagarin makes like a pick Jackson state has a uh, Jacksonville state has a quarterback that may be an NFL prospect and Zarek Cooper, Jacksonville States led, uh, they led FSU by two scores before the Seminoles finally caught up and Florida international is flipping between three quarterbacks looking for an answer. So uh, those are two FCS or no games. I uh, Pro FCS this week. Yeah, by the way, Jacksonville State only beat Mercer
0: um, by six the other week. Mercer played pretty well. Before we get out of here, I just want to remind everyone of the Action Network Podcast Tournament of Champions presented by BetMGM, which is now live, as it is every week. It's a free weekly Yahoo DFS tournament specifically for our podcast listeners. You can join submit by clicking on the link in our episode description. Top 10 weekly finishers receive over $1,000 worth of Action Network prizes and the top five finishers each week punch their ticket to the Wildcard Weekend Grand Finale, where you'll then compete for the grand prize, which is a Las Vegas trip for two, valued at over $5,000, courtesy of BetMGM, the official out provider of the Action Network Podcast. So again, you can join it for free. There's no rake. It's only for our podcast listeners. Every week of the NFL regular season, if you join it one week and miss another week, that's fine. You can join it any week you want. Just click on the link in our episode description. All right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out.
2: Let's make it a quick three and out.
0: Uh, All right, let's quickly run through these games on Friday nights and get to Friday Night Lights.
2: Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes,
0: full hearts. Let's
2: go play some football. All right,
0: we already talked about Wisconsin game. We talked about the FBS game. I played some Tulsa South Florida under fifty-one. I don't see how South Florida does much uh, on offense against that Tulsa defense, which I think is really real. And feel free to share thoughts that you have on that game if you do. And the other game on Friday night, Louisiana, minus three now at BetMGM. MGM. I got to play them. I love them. Maybe you <laughs> like UAB. Uh, over under 49 and a half. Awful situational spot for UAB on a short week. ULL, extra prep after playing last Wednesday. I think they're going to run it on UAB. UAB's run, run defense has been kind of suspect. I don't believe in this UAB quarterback after digging into him. Um I like ULL here and uh, maybe there's some
2: news I don't know about with this line. It just keeps moving. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, as far as Tulsa goes, I mean, I'm waiting for some steam to back South Florida. Did I just say that out loud? I'm waiting on some steam to back South Florida. I'm so scared of backing these quarterbacks to just give the ball up, and that's what Jordan McLeod is. You know, Jordan McLeod, he has to eliminate mistakes at quarterback. They're 74th and havoc allowed. They need to hand the ball off more to Johnny Ford. He's Mr. Everything from running back, from rushing, receiving, to kick returning. Uh, He is a star for South Florida, and they need to use him a lot more. We'll see if they do. Uh, you know, South Florida's strength is limiting pass explosiveness on D. They're actually sixth. I mean, everything else on their defense is terrible. But they are good at limiting pass explosiveness, and that's the one thing that Zach Smith does well for Tulsa. So I am going to wait for some steam and probably take a look at South Florida. As far as ULL, UAB goes, there must be some news out there that that we don't know about because generally UAB beats up on teams that are they're in the group of five, especially smaller teams like ULL. Uh, You know, their defense is suspect in rushing explosiveness, and that's really bad because that's what ULL does. They're sixth in the nation in rushing EPA. UAB is 77th dead last in defensive rushing EPA. Uh, so I would love to back UAB here. The number has gone way past the projected of UAB minus one. Uh, I'm going to look further into it tonight. I, I don't understand why this line is moving so much. I don't know if there's COVID or an injury. Uh, but be on the lookout on the app, on the action app, as always, for, for Stuck and I's account for one of us. I, if Stuck's going to go ULL, uh, then I guess be watching, you know, to see if I, I send out a UAB one. It just depends. I mean, this there's got to be a reason for this number, this really crazy movement in this game. Yeah,
0: UAB, which has a 21-game home winning streak is
2: now getting
0: bet against here pretty hard. All right, let's move on to second down. Second down is our favorite overdog, a.k.a. favorite favorite of the weekend.
2: It's called the overdog
0: parlay. I'll make mine easy. It's time. I've paid my dues. And not covering last week, I'm free to bet Middle Tennessee State games. Not bet on Middle Tennessee State. I bet Rice. First game advantage here, itching the fade. I'm
2: now free to do so. Give me Rice, baby. Price minus three and a half. What you got, favorite overdog? Favorite overdog is going to be San Diego State. I mean, I'm just going to go into the Marcus Arroyo is going to have a pistol formation. Uh, everything I said about how, you know, he uh, is not the greatest play caller in the world and the San Diego State up-tempo, electric, vertical. I'm going to believe in all of that. And, uh, you know, we'll see what, what San Diego State can do against what I think is the worst defense in the Mountain West. Let's move on to third down, our favorite money line underdog. Turning good weekends into
0: great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. For what it's worth, if anyone is interested, I did put in some round robins um, (laughs) this week. I got the itch earlier today. All right, so I threw a couple in. I I have an eight-teamer, a six-teamer. Threw in a couple. Here are the teams that I use. One of them I use, Ole Miss, Georgia Southern, Iowa State, purdue indiana missouri nevada and utsa and in another i used just iowa state purdue indiana georgia state missouri and utsa so we'll see how it works out i have to choose one of them um i'm gonna go it's tough for me but i'm getting i get i have a gut feeling about it so i'm going with it give me indiana
2: Better get that money line quick before it keeps going down before kickoff. Uh, I'm going to go with Iowa State. You know, Brocktober. Everything that I said besides Brocktober, that defensive line is going to give Spencer Sanders and that uh, Pokes offensive line everything that they can handle. So Cyclones for me. By the way, you didn't
0: answer a question. Can we b- fade Auburn this week in Bo Nix season or no? Bo Nix season in full effect.
2: Yeah, I mean, until – until Bo Nix and Seth Williams show a little continuity here and uh, Chad Morris doesn't have to play babysitter, yeah, we're all we're all in on teams that are facing Auburn. Oh, man, that old Miss D is so bad. I, I look at like they grading out, like all their corners are the worst in the nation.
0: All right, uh, that'll do it for us. Don't forget about the voicemail. UTEP, minor nation, I didn't forget about you today. Uh, I like the under in your game. I expect to hear from you. I missed you. I legitimately missed you on the recap podcast and hearing your voicemail. I better hear from you. Pizza parties. Everyone else, call the voicemail. Go to my Twitter at Stucky2. You'll see the voicemail number. Cry, scream, bitch, yell. You know the drill. Thank you for listening. We got through a ton this week. I am so excited for all this college football. I'm probably going to have 30 bets this weekend. I'm that excited. Colin, thank you as always for joining me. It's going to be a fun weekend. And uh, hopefully we can drive you to some winners or keep you away for some losers, and uh, let's make, try to make some money and have some fun this weekend. We'll catch you all on Twitter. Make sure that you subscribe, unsubscribe. Leave a review. Just takes one second. Leave a podcast review, five-star review. You're going to go into a drawing. Some of you did it on the Action Network app, which I think I said it wrong, which is great. You're going to go into Raffle 2. We'll send, like, sweatshirts and stuff. Uh, my producer will reach out. But thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you all later. Cheers.
2: So.
1: we finished talking.